0: The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. So today I want to talk about God. (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) And I was thinking about how uh, in my ministry, uh, it's been such an important thing, and in my personal life, my personal spiritual journey, to continue my exploration of the divine, to continue to evolve it and deepen my walk in spirit, in God, and understand the nature of the universe. Like many of you, I think I was born here with that compulsion within me to explore and to discover and to deepen and wondered from, from the beginning of my life, what is this all about? How did we get here? What's this about? What's happening? Who created this? And, and was very curious about all that from the beginning. And in the work that I have done as a, uh, a young one here in this teaching, as a practitioner, as a minister, it always goes back to that. And so so I can promise you that as we continue to co-create together, that one of the passions that I have is helping people do the same for themselves, to deepen their own understanding about God. And so, so I can, you know, when you come here, you might be saying, oh, she's talking about God again? Yeah. Yeah, I probably will. That's a passion. It's a passion that I have. Because I also want to help us to really have a, a new mental equivalent for God. It was important for me to pull that being out of the sky, to transcend gender ideas about what God is. God is neither female nor male. God is beyond all that. God is beyond every religion that has ever been formed. God is above and transcendent of that. God is transcendent of power Politics. God is transcendent of personal experience. The transcendence is what I seek to, to realize and experience. And that's what our teaching seeks to do and that's what we seek to do. And so, so I want to talk about how it is that we tend to experience and unlock some of the mysteries of the divine for ourselves. And there are three ways that I've been contemplating this week. The first way that I want to look at is the intelligence that we have. We are blessed and cursed to be big thinkers, aren't we? We think a lot. The intellect is something that we're very proud of. And as we grow, at least in this Western culture, one of the high-valued ideas that we hold is that we want to be a good thinker. We want to be intelligent. We want to be smart. We want to understand. And this is not a bad thing. It's just in my mind, in, when it comes to the nature of the universe, sometimes we've overused this a little bit. We maybe should go to Thinkaholics Anonymous or something like that because what can come with with the compulsion for the pathway that leads into the divine to only be that which we think about is the good news of, of study and reading and spiritual understanding and deep conversations about the nature of the universe, which is great. And what can then happen sometimes is that we get caught up in materialism from the standpoint of the objective world, that which I can prove and prove to someone else is reality, And that's where we get caught up in debates with each other, uh, in spiritual debates and world debates, is that if I can prove that I am right, then I can have some sense of validation about my way to see God. And so we seek to dismantle that uh, pathway to the extent that we are using it to make ourselves right and make others wrong or to, to affirm or discount our experience of the divine. And so the intellect as a pathway to the divine has a clear place in our exploration. But it is not the place. Science is amazing, and I love what science is doing around the nature of our universe, especially physics. I don't always understand it all, but I like it. I like it. I find it fascinating. And maybe there will come a time when our scientific explorations will unlock all, unlock all of the mysteries of the universe. And that pathway has, for us right now in our experience, its gifts And it is not the one and only way to unlock the mysteries of God. Another pathway that we use a lot, especially those of us who are teachers or parents or way showers or ministers, is that of metaphor and and lessons and stories and, and comparisons and contrasting. And a lot of metaphors are utilized in spiritual teaching to help us to understand the nature of God. One of my favorite metaphors is that of of that we are like uh, fish in the water wondering where the water is right? The metaphor of we're swimming in it. It's in us. It's through us. It's as us. And it helps us to understand when we're talking about a teaching like Science of Mind and Spirit, who, where we believe that the nature of God is immersed in everything and everyone, then we begin to bring forth metaphors that invite us to take a look at the, where God is in relationship to us. And we constantly go back to, it's right where we are. No matter what's going on. It's not like while I'm at church I'm experiencing God and then when I leave I'm not. It's not like that. It's the notion that wherever I go I'm in the midst of it and it is in the midst of me. And I used for the the title of this this message today, dancing as the divine, because in a contemplation I was having, I began to see the metaphor of dancing as another way to view the nature of the divine, and I was, I was uh, pondering how many different ways there are to dance as a human being. There's formal dance steps, the waltz, one, two, three, one, two. There's, you know, samba. There's, uh, somebody said today, because it's in the line after the first service, because it's St. Paddy's Day, I'm going to do a jig for God today. So there's doing jigs. There's, uh, there's uh, square dancing. There's line dancing. There's break dancing. There's, there's dancing with a partner. There's dancing alone all by yourself where no one can see you. There's the dancing with large groups of people. There's slow dancing. There's fast dancing. There's sensual dancing. There's ballet dancing. There's all—I didn't go on my toes. Did you know that? There's all kinds of ways to dance. And I feel like the dance is a variety that we delight in. The human eye, the human heart delights in seeing different dances and seeing the different ways that people dance. And I notice that nowhere that I am aware of has anyone struck up a commission that seeks to prove that one way of dancing is the right way. Thou shalt only do the samba (laughs) or the rumba. Or the waltz. There's, there. We all can accept and say, "Wow, isn't it cool that there's so many ways that humans can dance?" And I know that some of us. I remember in high school going to dances and and boys telling me, "I don't dance." Some of you are probably always saying, "Well, I don't dance." But this this metaphor says to us that any movement is dance. Any movement at all to walk is my form of dancing through my life, to to wheel myself forth if I'm differently abled, if I use a chair or a cane, or if I can't move much at all, but I, I can be here. I am dancing. And notice that my title is uh, Dancing as the Divine. Many... S- Teachers throughout the ages have said to us, we live, move, and have our being in God, and I would edit it, if I could, to say, as God. We are not dancing in God. We are not dancing with God. We are dancing as God. And that metaphor of the dance opens my mind up to to enjoy the variety of experience even when it's that goofy dance that Elaine from Seinfeld <laughs> did <laughs> no matter how goofy the dance is it's still god in form And so then I start to feel an expansiveness happen in my heart. And that's one of the things that metaphors are good for. My heart begins to open up to, wow, isn't that wonderful? And another metaphor then that I've been talking about with students in classes lately is the metaphor of the sun, Imagining that the universe, that the light that God is, is like the sun. It's everywhere present. It's the the source that is everywhere. And we know because we've used our intellect and we're smart beings, we know that on a cloudy day it doesn't mean the sun is dead, right? We know that. But in our lives what happens is that we've, we've lost the ability to have the faith When it's a cloudy day in our own personal life, that the sun, the source, is still there behind the appearance of the clouds. And when I was young and read the book Illusions by Richard Bach, one of the parts of the book, it was about cloud busting. And they would practice take, taking a cloudy day and, and imagining an opening and seeing the clouds part or seeing a little cloud dissipate and transform into that which is invisible. And, and I used to practice that as a teenager and still sometimes have practiced it. And notice that it appears as though sometimes I'm somewhat successful at it. And it dawned on me recently that, that really what we do when we pray or we affirm or we do our work. to to shift some idea of ourselves that is not in alignment with ourselves as dancing as the divine, that what we're doing is our own personal experience of cloud-busting. We're busting away the illusions of the the not-self, that we have built up through our experience and even through our intellectual musings and through our decision-making and through our experience thus far, and we're seeking to, to choose to have a greater faith in that sunshine, continuing to know that it's out there despite the clouds that I may have experienced in my own personal life, and I know that my work isn't about yelling and screaming at the sun to show itself, but it's rather about being willing to bust away the illusions of my own experience. And that metaphor speaks to me, to to encourage me to continue to do that beautiful work, to let go and to be more available to see and witness the light that is there all the while. So we have the intellect. We have these metaphors that can teach us and support us. And the last one that I said was experience. In my personal spiritual life, I've had experiences. Mystical, woo-woo. Experiences. Where... Seemingly out of the blue at times, I've felt a sense of the dissipation of my own personal identity and a sense of merging into a oneness that was profound. I've noticed that after such experiences, I have found it difficult to speak about them, difficult to describe them in the full measure of their magnificence, difficult to to intellectualized them, and at times felt, if I tell somebody this, they're gonna think I'm weird, although I accept I'm weird, so maybe that's okay, but, but found myself discombobulated sometimes by my own spiritual awakenings. And 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 I have read about it. I have read lots of books on mystics and the mystical experience. I have known many other people. I'm sure some of us in this very room have had moments like that—a a moment of merging into the oneness and a sense of a surrender. And and in that surrender, an absolute awakening—an experience of. What felt to be the divine. And I also notice that that intellect at times tries to talk me out of it. Well, that didn't really happen. You know, you were tired. You had a little too much wine. You, uh, you know, that was just a, was just a weird... Uh, you, maybe you had indigestion. I remember Scrooge, when he encounters Marley, you're just a bit of indigestion, he says. You know, it's just it's, it's, it was probably nothing. I'm sure everyone has this kind of experience. I'm sure it happens all the time. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. But all the while, see, in our seeking, the experience, experience of ourselves as the divine is what we're really wanting. We're not wanting to understand the nature of God. That would be cool. We're wanting to experience it, to feel it. And we get, we can get caught up in second guessing ourselves in the actual experience of it. One of my favorite movies is the movie Contact with, uh, uh, these characters that are so profound. Jody, what's her last name? I'm just Foster. I'm sorry because my brain, quite frankly, got caught up in Matthew McConaughey. I love it. It's Jody, and then Matthew. <sighs> And in the movie, I love that there are two characters. She's the scientist, and he's the spiritual guy, and they come together. And there's a, a number of really key scenes. He's, he's, he's sharing with her one night about this experience he had, and she's coming at it from a scientific viewpoint. And she's saying to him, well, do you think maybe you just imagined it? And he's saying, no, it was real. But do you think maybe you just imagined No, and she's kind of like, "Yeah, whatever. And so then they have this conversation again later on, and they're debating his work. He has this book where he's talked about and kind of said science won't get us the answers we're looking for. It's only through the experience. And she's kind of poo-pooing that. And, And she has this father who's deceased. And she loved her father. And he turns to her and he says, tell me something. Did you love your father? And she says, yes. And he says, prove it. The realm of the heart the realm of the experience of divine, we have to accept we will not be able to prove it to anyone upon walking into the terrain of the divine. The most we can really do is to embrace it fully as a part of our experience and to feel the expansion that occurs within our being because of it and walk forward and understand that no one may really ever get it. And it can feel lonely. And we can seek after it, and indeed, some of our seeking to experience it again is a bit clumsy. We get caught up in things we think might lead us there, sometimes addictions and, and, and things that we think, well, if I do this, maybe I'll have that experience again, maybe I'll be able to experience that again, when in my experience, it kind of came on as a surprise or a shock or a moment of clarity, a moment of awakening, and so we embrace the experience for the fullness of it. And indeed, in the movie, Jodie Foster's character goes off into another sphere, another dimension, even another world, and she comes back as a scientist with no proof whatsoever of her having gone and has to tell the world. And she says, I had an experience. I can't prove it. I can't take you there and show you. I can only tell you what I experienced. And to me... This is what often happens to those of us who will have the spiritual audacity to embrace our woo-woo, or at least our woo, right? (laughs) To be willing and open for the soul-expanding, life-altering, not thought necessarily, not pondering experience. This happened to our founder, Dr. Ernest Holmes, in February of 1959, just a few months before his passing, he went to go speak to our church in Whittier, California, which still exists this day, and he went to go dedicate the church, and he was giving a message to the people of that church about their holy, sacred work together. And I have the transcript of that, and many of us have listened to Holmes talking And at the end of his experience, he had an indescribable cosmic experience of oneness. As he's talking, here's what he says at the very end of the talk. He says, we are dedicated to the concept that the pure in heart shall see God here. That the meek will inherit the earth now. That one with truth is a majority That every one of us, in the secret place of the Most High, the citadel of his own consciousness, has the secret with the eternal, the everlasting, the almighty, and the ineffable. God and I are one. And I see you doing this. And I see you uniting in one great hymn of praise, one great union of effort, one crescendo of song, and one enveloping light of consciousness. And then he pauses. And when listening to it, you can hear his voice just changes. There's this long pause, and then he says, I see it. And then he says, Oh, God, the veil is thin between. We do mingle with the hosts of heaven. I see it, and I shall speak no more. And that's where it ends. According to those who knew him, he kind of stumbled back and he sat down. And when he was done that night, he went home immediately Apparently, he told a friend about his experience. But it was discombobulating even to our founder, Ernest Holmes, the man who would spent his life and his career talking to people about the embrace of the divine, who experiences it. Now, I can understand uh, that in my own private moments, having experienced that, I get it. But like if it happened right now in front of all y'all, I'd be like, oh, no. <laughs> Did I spit? Did anything, you know, what happened? happened? It'd be like, I can see how vulnerable one might feel having that kind of mystical oneness experience in front of a whole group of people. And yet it was a little shocking to him. And I am here today to say, I welcome it. And I invite us to welcome the full on experience experience of the divine, to make it welcome through the way that we choose to live our life on a daily basis. That's what we do here in this teaching, to live a life where our prayer life, our seeking to experience this divine realization isn't just a nice idea, isn't just something we talk about. It's something that we make ourselves available for. In order to do that, there are a couple key things we must do as a part of our daily life. The first one is we must plug in. We must plug into it. We must be willing to be plugged into this divine light consciously. Now, remember I said earlier, we're always plugged in. There's no way we can disconnect We can have a cloudy experience where we think it's not there, but it's always there. But what we can do is plug in consciously. I remember in Scottsdale, Arizona, where I got to serve a wonderful community, New Vision Center for 17 years, that Marianne Williamson came and spoke to us a number of times. And one time when she came, she was standing on our stage and she got very pensive and she said to us that we were like lamps, each one of us a source of light and that we forget to plug in. And she looked at us all and she said, how dare you forget to plug in and then whine about the darkness? And it made an impact on me, a big (laughs) impact. We must plug in. And every day we plug in. We plug in for the conscious purpose to embrace the experience of dancing as the divine through our life. We plug in through our prayer work we plug in through our spiritual practice we plug in through showing up and being a part of communities that invite us and, and encourage us to keep plugged in we plug in through our inner work through our our healing work we plug in when we cloud bust and, and deal with the stuff that's in our way we plug in every time we choose to read inspirational work we plug in every time we, we go forth in inspired action to make a difference in the world we plug in in and we plug in consciously, so that the the source is fully embraced in us and as us, and that which we are and that which we do is is lightened by that light. We plug in, and when we plug in, we powered up. We're powered up. Many of us struggle because we feel disempowered somehow in our life. We feel disempowered to, to, to be active and make change and contribute in meaningful ways. And yet when I imagine a world of all human beings being plugged in and powered up, a number of things are stunningly true at that point. When we are plugged in and powered up, How would we ever make a choice for violence in any way, shape, or form? Violence of thought, violence of word, violence of action. Because in that place of oneness, I can feel the part of me that that can feel so connected to everything and everyone. And to harm anything is to harm Everyone, and in that plugged in place, that powered up place, everything and everyone is my beloved. And the compassion that just pours out, and the love that pours out, and the connectedness that pours out is part of what we're seeking to experience and seeking to be in the world. When I am plugged in and powered up, I can't be disrespectful of anyone's way of life, of anyone's choice or experience of all beings represent, though, the, the dance of life. Some are the rumba and some are ballet and some are line dance. It, what does it matter to me in that moment? I celebrate and love the dance when I am plugged in and powered up. And I encourage it. And say, Dance away, my beloved, beautiful one. And the world is at peace. The world, my world is at peace. And my ability to step forward in meaningful ways, to embrace the the dreams in my heart, the experiences of my life that I choose to have are powerfully augmented when I am plugged in and powered up and when I'm not it's like walking in mug and I can't quite do it and it feels hard and it's a struggle. But in this place, the creative process is a joyous thing to behold. I seek to be plugged in and powered up. And I invite all of us to consider this weekend, every day of our lives, what does it take for me to do that, for me to plug in, for me to be powered up. What is my dance to be about today? How shall I dance as the divine within this possibility that life is calling me to? And I, I pray for each one of us, and I hope that you will dance. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, text 720-230-1404 or visit us at milehighchurch.org.